This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How is everybody? Well, that was lousy. Um, Happy Thursday. There we go. That's better. All right. Good deal. We'll get a little racket going on in here. It just seems really dark in here to me. Does it seem dark in here to you guys? Chris, is there, would it mess us up to open those even just slightly? You're the only one sitting back there by the heat. So I think if we just open them slightly, maybe, because uh, it really is dark. Yeah. So, um, wow. Okay. So I'm so glad to be here, and uh, I just, I feel grateful you guys. I feel really, really grateful to live in Oklahoma. Does anybody besides me feel grateful? Yeah. Man, I tell you what, I look at what's going on around the world and around the country, and um, when I was uh, in high school, I couldn't wait to get out of little small town Geary, Oklahoma, and then after I got out of there, I couldn't wait to get out of Oklahoma, and then I did, and then I couldn't wait to get back. And I think it's because of the people, really, right? It's the people. Um, and I also think it's, it has a little bit to do with the fact that we're, um, we're kind of, we have that can-do spirit here, right? Um, and I just, I don't know, I just wanted to share that with you this morning because I, I just appreciate where we live and I appreciate what we have, off, uh, the opportunities that we have where we live. So, um, so my name is Nikki Buckaloo. I think I've met everybody. We have a couple of new people. Raise your hand if you're new in the room. Yes, welcome. Let's give these folks a hand. Thanks for being here. Thanks for bringing them as your guest, if you brought them as a guest. And uh, you brought them on a topic that's an interesting topic today, right? Downsizing with dementia, right? This will be a a good first for them. They'll get to hear Nikki at her finest probably today. Uh, I also want to appreciate our sponsors. And I'll tell you guys, um, they are amazing. And we're going to be talking today as we go through this program how kind of each one of our sponsors plugs into this equation downsizing with dementia. So if you guys would kind of give everybody a wave over there at the sponsor tables. Hello, everybody. Yep. So for those of you who are new, um, I just want to point out our team, Buckley Realty Group and OKC Mature Moves back here, Jake and Shannon and Kim at the back table. Curtis, our friend from Arvest Bank and Wealth and Trust Management Department. Of course, Marilyn at Villages OKC. We got Kelly back here with Concordia, and we got Cindy back in the corner there at Spanish Co- and I think it looks like Melissa had to step out. Um, she's our Bradford uh, sales rep there. And uh, so can we just appreciate them for helping us make this free, right? Make it free, yeah. Um, if it wasn't for these guys, I, I, you know, I haven't said this in a long time. I used to say it at every seminar, and I haven't said it in a long time, so I'm going to say it today uh, for those, especially those that are newer to the program. This was not uh, something that just happened. Nikki said one day, hey, let's do seminars. Um, This happened as a collective kind of conversation with many of us uh, in the industry, right? Yeah, thank you guys. And these guys that are sponsors, they're, they're a part of that conversation where we all said, there are a lot of people out there in our, in our community doing good things they're just not working together to do them, right? Like, there's no one place you can go to find out a lot of information. And so what if we put together a series of topics that people could come to, and they knew that every month there was going to be a topic, and we all contributed to that. And that's kind of how the Senior Living Truth series 
Jesus was born uh, six and a, uh, over six years ago now, right? Then it's fun to watch, like Villages OKC was kind of getting started in formation. Really, it was, a, it was a concept at that time. And then as it was born and birthed, I said to Marilyn, I said, Marilyn, we're only doing 12 topics. Like, we can't do uh, more topics than that. And so Marilyn's group over at Villages OKC and all the members there are putting on additional education that kind of complements what we're doing here it's different and so I see where Spanish Cove does education every month Bradford Village Concordia everybody does education now and it all you have to do literally is walk by their table to find out what they're doing and you've got like this ready-made educational what I think of as a center of education right now here's the difference between there is education out there but for those of you who come to this you know that we're here not to try to sell you on an idea or sell you on something like a product. We're here to help you think it through, right? And that's the difference. And that's why I promote their education um, because it's more academic, it's more educational from a like from an institutional setting like a school than it is like a salesperson trying to sell you something. Okay. So I think um, I appreciate that. I hope you guys do, right? All right. So with that said, um, let's dive into today's topic and. You have, in front of you, you have a handout. So you have a handout. Um, it says truth about downsizing with dementia at the top. And then you have behind that handout, it should be stapled, by the way. This is stapled. And then you have another handout that's purple. And then there should be another handout that looks more like a spreadsheet that has like a, it's, um, yeah, exactly like that. Yeah, let me hold that up more. Yeah, so like this. Okay, these are the three handouts that we're going to be looking at today. Um, the first stapled one is the, uh, is the outline. And then the other two handouts are because when I show you the one on, one on the screen, you're not going to be able to read it on the screen. Uh, so that's why you have a handout in front of you. Okay? And for those of you at home uh, watching from virtually, we have about, I think Naomi said, 35 or 40 people watching virtually from home, which is really great, and we're so glad because sometimes you don't want to get out or you can't get out, and we're, we're glad we're able to provide it for you that way as well, and they get to see the slides because Chris is putting them up as we go, so they'll be able to see those slides as well, you guys at home. All right. Okay. Now, you guys know that I try to just speak my mind, right, and the truth the best I can from my own perspective doesn't make it right always it just makes it my opinion sometimes and I'll tell you when it's my opinion versus a study or something like that but I'm going to tell you guys we started this uh, we, we de decided on this topic last year so sometime I don't know September October we put the schedule together for the next year right and I thought oh it seems like forever before we do this topic and between then and now, I can tell you that I have met with, and Shannon and Jake and our team and everybody on the sponsorship team have met with countless people who are dealing with this issue right now, right? They're going through it. They're living it. And it, maybe it's you. Maybe you're living it. I don't know. But I know there's a lot of people living this question mark right now. Like, what do I do? When do I do it? How do I do it? Should I do it? What are the best strategies? All of those questions. And, you know, we've done lots and lots of topics on senior living communities and what they offer and, generally speaking, how you downsize. 
And the one kink in all of this, like the one thing that can happen that can derail all of the best intentions that we have is the dementia component, right? It, it just is. It's the one thing we either don't expect, we didn't know was going to happen, showed up in our lives, and now we've got to deal with it. So today we're going to deal with it. Hopefully nobody will ever have to need the information we're going to share today, right? That's my goal, is that you're not going to need it, that you're going to skate through life, and it's not going to be necessary to even have been here today. But if you do happen to need it, or someone you know and love and care about needs it, you'll have it. Fair enough? All right. So let's do some truths, all right? These are in your handout, but I'm just going to walk through them because it'll help us kind of set up the conversation around the downsizing piece. So here's a truth that most of us know about or have read about at the very least, right? And that is that about one in six women and one in ten men who live past 55 will develop dementia in their lifetime. Now, most of those people will not be diagnosed until they're in their 70s or 80s, okay? The symptoms actually don't start showing up until the later stages, uh, or ages, rather, in many cases. Okay, so the next truth, dementia is more common as people grow older, with about one-third of all people 85 or older having some form of dementia. Now, that's a really depressing statistic, okay? And so, I get it. We're all in the same boat, right? And that is the consequence of living longer lives. I mean, think about that. Think about the fact that, you know, most of the time, if we think about our grandparents and, and our grandparents before them, well, they didn't have dementia. Well, they only lived to be 50 or 60, right? This is the first time in our history that people have lived into their 80s, 90s, and 100s at the rate that they are, right? Not all dementia is Alzheimer's, right? There are actually five major common types of dementia that um, are notable. There are probably others, but these are the ones we know about, and these are the five, and they're in your handout. But these are the five, and Alzheimer's is the one that gets the most attention, right? It's the one that people hear about and, and that gets written about the most, but it's not the only one. Um, the second one is often people that are younger than 60 are the people who are often uh, dealing with that one. And then, of course, vascular dementia, that's, that has to do with uh, constriction of the arteries. And, and it has nothing to do with Alzheimer's disease, but it has many of the same symptoms. Uh, and so a lot of times people will say, well, I, ha I have somebody I know who has Alzheimer's or somebody in my family has Alzheimer's, but they don't even know what type it is, right? They kind of lump them all together. Or somebody will say, so-and-so has Alzheimer's, and they may not have Alzheimer's, right? They may have a different type of dementia. Um, mixed dementia is just literally that. It's a combination of two or more different types of dementia at the same time. The most important risk factor for Alzheimer's disease is age. Isn't that interesting, right? Now, I, I didn't write that myself. I took that straight out of a article, and when I read it, I had to read it two, I had to read it two or three times <laughs> to take it in. Risk factor. Did you know age is a risk factor now, right? Um, so just because your family members didn't have Alzheimer's doesn't mean you'll have it, but also just because they did have it doesn't mean you will have it. Can we be clear about that? Uh, there are a lot of people who are fearful that they're going to have it, 
when they shouldn't be fearful, and there are people who think they'll never get it who might. It's an unknown, just like any other disease, right? Uh, with the exception of some that we know are very genetically connected. Um, we know that you can take the word Alzheimer's and just cross it out. We know that dementia progressively gets worse over time, right? We just, it, it doesn't improve. It does not reverse itself. You don't go in remission from dementia. Now, there's an exception to that rule, and that is if it's misdiagnosed. Some people have been diagnosed with dementia only to find out that it wasn't dementia at all. They had a health condition that caused them to seem like they had dementia, but once the health condition is resolved, the symptoms go away. Now, it doesn't mean their dementia got better. It means they didn't have Does that make sense? It means they had symptoms that looked like dementia. Okay, this is the handout you have that's uh, purple, and I, I put it up here. I know that's tiny. We, we didn't know that until we put it up on the thing, but you have that handout. These are the seven stages uh, of Alzheimer's, and they call this the global deterioration scale. Now, the secondary handout that you have with the spreadsheet thing, that is an adaptation of this model. And it was done by a gerontologist who does a lot of work in dementia. Her name is Tam, T-A-M, Cummings. And so I, I bought her book after I read up on a lot of the work she did. And it's called Untangling Alzheimer's, A Guide for Families and Professionals. I think I paid, I bought it used on Amazon. I think I paid $7 for it or something, free shipping. So it's worth the read if you want to go in and, and pick it up. You can buy it on our website. It's 20 bucks. <laughs> I went on Amazon. I bought it for 7 free shipping. So I'm just giving you a little hint there. So anyway, really, really, really good book for laymen, for people to understand the dimension. Now, she, the reason she adapted these uh, seven stages was to kind of reflect more of what she was seeing working care environments in long-term care where people were being cared for that had cognitive declines and kind of what the symptoms look like even more so than what you see on the original creator on Reisberg's stages. So we're going to be talking about these stages as it relates to the process of downsizing or relocating because it, this is very, very important to note when you start asking yourself, should I, can I, would I, when should I, etc. Where people are in the process makes a difference. Another truth, the most important, I'm sorry, there continues to be a stigma surrounding the disease. And I think this is interesting. People have this disease, and they're not telling people that they have it because somehow they're embarrassed about it, they're ashamed of it, they feel some sense of negative emotion around it. Yet, there isn't a week that doesn't go by on my Facebook newsfeed that somebody didn't post that somebody in their life has cancer. Please pray for them. They're going to chemo. They're going through radiation. Please pray for this person. They have cancer. Nobody cares about that. It's out there all the time. It's not. They don't feel it. They don't feel like they should hide it. But rarely, if ever, do I see somebody say, my loved one has dementia. Until when? until they're dying. That's when I see it. I see a post on the Facebook when someone, like my friend Joyce up in Ohio, her dad just recently passed away, and 
she's been posting for the last couple of months regularly because he was in the end stages and she was really really using Facebook as her support system right and she would post things and people would help her through them and uh, I thought it was interesting that I didn't know that Joyce had a family member with dementia all this time until the very end right and it's because for whatever reason we have a tendency to keep that close to our chest we don't talk about it and I'm not really sure why um, if you look the other graph that's on your handout this is what this is what Alzheimer's does to our brain this is a physical disease this is a biological process this happens to our bodies right this is, cancer happens to our bodies you guys have seen what tumors look like right nobody seems to be ashamed of the fact that tumors have somehow infected them their body and that they're having to fight those tumors but when we say someone has Alzheimer's they somehow think that they should have been able to avoid that right it's weird and yet it's a brain disease it's a brain disease a degenerative brain disease okay and so I think first thing that we have to start doing is being okay as the, if we are the person that has been diagnosed with this, we have got to be willing to share that with people so they can help us. We go in to the homes of people every day, um, probably three, four, five times a week now, and uh, my job on our team is almost exclusively now coaching people through where, when, and how to move, okay? Shannon handles all the real estate stuff. Jake handles all the operational stuff for our move management team. We've got people who come in and do all the packing and stuff. I get called when someone says, I don't know where to begin. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. Where should I go? If I decide to do this, how long is it going to take, right? So I'm the person that goes in and coaches people through that process. And I have gone on more appointments in the last six months where one or the other of a spouse or the parent of the person that I'm meeting there with has dementia, and I can tell based on behavior, but they never disclose it to me and never bring it up unless I ask. Isn't that interesting? And it makes it really difficult because you know how hard it is for somebody like me to ask? So, Martha, um, do you have dementia? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I might. <laughs> right? It's, it's hard for somebody to ask that question, right? There's no good way to ask that question. Now, I can get around it. I, I'm pretty good at getting around it, and I do a good job, and a lot of times it sounds more like this. So, Martha, is there anything you need to know that might make this process more difficult for you or your husband or family or daughter or whoever I'm talking to, right? And then you might say, um, well, we have some, you know, we, there was a little bit of confusion, and we're really not sure about some certain thing, but then they dance around it. They dance around it. They dance around it. Nobody ever comes out and says, my significant other has dementia, and so they get confused about what we're going to take and not take. Nobody ever does that. I, I can tell you I have never had somebody fully disclose that they have a spouse or loved one with dementia. Now, a lot of times I can figure it out. I'll come back to the office and I'll say to Jake, so Jake, we've got this client and I'm pretty confident that there's some dementia. It's not been disclosed to me, but based on these behaviors, we need to make certain accommodations for this client, okay? 
Now, I'm having to make some pretty big assumptions, aren't I? Right? You know how much easier it would be if people would just say, Nikki, we're moving because my wife cannot remember my name anymore, and we need to make a change. Now, that's pretty clear, and that tells me, professional, that there are some things I need to consider to take into account to help this person, yeah? But people don't do that. Instead, they try to hide it. Couples are really good at hiding it, by the way. Couples are really good at hiding it. You know, one or the other will talk and do all the talking, and when I try to get the other person to talk, the other person jumps in and takes over. It's amazing to watch. It's actually hilarious to watch if you were a fly on the wall. It's not hilarious, the situation, but the way that they have learned how to dance is very fascinating. Chris's parents, or grandparents, rather, um, Mo and Pops, we called them, uh, Chris's mom's parents, he was 91 uh, when he passed, and she was how many years younger? 11 years younger, and they uh, came to our house regularly for holidays and birthday parties and different things, and uh, he had had a, a neck injury, and so he didn't drive a lot. She would drive, and he would navigate, and so they came to our house regularly. Well, he had a fall. He fell on his back step, back porch step. Um, perfectly healthy guy, by the way. Otherwise, he was playing golf up until his 91st birthday, literally, and when he had this fall, he hit his head, developed a hematoma, went into the hospital, and never came out of the uh, coma he was in and passed away. Um, had no disease processes, none of that. Just the fall was what literally what killed him. It wasn't long after that that we had a, a party at our house, and Mo was going to come over, and she got lost. She couldn't find her way to our house. And so we kept worrying, you know, like, where is she, where is she? She found her way back home. And so we're like, why didn't you come? And she made up some excuse, and somebody went and got her and brought her over. And then the next thing started to happen where she started accusing my sister-in-law, who, by the way, is in saint as far as I'm concerned. She would go over there every day at lunch and have lunch with her. I mean, she was doing all kinds of really loving, daughterly things for my grandmother. And she started accusing Andrea of stealing things. And then we got phone calls in the middle of the night that somebody was trying to break into her house. Paranoia had set in. We did not know the significance, the level, the degree of dementia that she had until Pops was gone. Because Pops was doing a really good job of covering it up. Right? He didn't tell any of us she couldn't find things and that she was getting lost and that she was paranoid and that she was scared at night, and that she was... Now, some of it may have gotten worse as a result of his passing, too, right? That's always a possibility. It wasn't as bad till he passed, and then now she's having her new normal is she's out of her comfort zone, and so she, now some of these symptoms worsened after passing. But it was a, quite a shock to all of us, and then uh, the family realized what's going on. They took her to have uh, some tests done, and sure enough, um, she was diagnosed. And her, pr her progression was really pretty fast. Um, she went into assisted living and then into um, uh, long-term care, and then she passed. Um, I don't know, Chris, how long was she in a community? Uh, two years total? Yeah, and during that time, she had gotten to finally to the point where she didn't remember anyone, and, and she went through the final stages that we talk about where she was unable to care for herself entirely before she passed. But I tell you all this because 
it would have really been helpful to all of us as her family if we had known what was going on. Because Pops didn't know he was going to die, you guys. He was 91. And he didn't think to tell us that if something should happen to me, you guys need to know what's going on with mums, right? He didn't think to do that. Because spouses are asked, don't tell anyone. We have a pact. Pinky swear, don't tell anybody. Okay. So that's what happens to our brain. It shrinks. And as it shrinks, and as the disease takes up more of our brain, the symptoms worsen. Studies and anecdotal evidence indicate that if you're going to relocate, it's better to do it prior to stage five. Why? We'll talk about that in a second. People tend to put it off, and they don't just put off moving. They put off planning at all until the symptoms have really gotten to the point that they're unmanageable or overwhelming, right? It's, it's the head in the sand thing, right? I'll that slide up again today. I forgot about it. I, well, I have this really great slide where there's this uh, thing, seal or something on the beach, and it's right in the sand. And that's how we kind of do this, right? We go, well, I'm just, I'll, I'll deal with that. Like my dad always says, cross that bridge when I come to it. So here's what happens. At five, six, seven, as the disease process gets to that point, now we're making decisions. And here are the things that people will say to us. This is not in your handout, I don't think. But these are the things people will say. They'll say, I, can, I, they'll say, I can't handle this. I just can't do it anymore. I'm exhausted. Or they'll say, I've gotten to the point I can't leave him or her alone anymore. They'll say, she won't let me hire help, and I need a break. Somebody might tell us, we found mom wandering in the neighborhood, and she couldn't find her way home. Somebody may accuse someone of stealing. He just wanders around the house with no apparent reason. When I ask what he's looking for, he just says, I don't know. Mom got scammed. They took 100,000 uh, 100, or 10,000. Pick your number. We've heard all kinds of numbers. We have to do something. This is the point that it gets to before people go, we probably should do something. Seriously. Um, it's amazing to me how many people wait until this is the time. Now, nobody wants to have to deal with disease, right? But isn't it interesting when someone is diagnosed with cancer, what is the first thing they do when their doctor tells them that they think they may have cancer? What is the first thing they do? I want a second opinion, right? They go see a specialist, yeah? Then what do they do? Let's say they do have cancer. The specialist says, yes, you have cancer. Now, what is the first question they ask? What do I do about it? What, do I do about it? what are my treatment options? How fast is this going to progress? What type of cancer is it? Right? They want to know. They have all these questions. You know what people do when they're told they have dementia? They go home and have lunch. <laughs> Seriously. The doctor says, you have dementia. We're going to watch it. Come back and see me in six months. Let's see how you do. And they go, well, that stinks. Okay. And they go home, and they quietly, privately try to rationalize the fact that either they or someone they love has just been told that they have dementia. 
no second opinion, no testing, no what type, no how long, none of those questions. Why? Is it denial? Is it that the people that live and work in the field of medicine don't know how to coach us through that process? Is it that uh, we're shocked? I don't know. I wish I had the answer. But that's the result, is that people are not getting enough information. And, by the way, the medical field does not know how to consult people through this process. They don't. I've had people tell me that they've gone to the doctor and they've gotten an early stage of dementia diagnosis, and the doctor says, oh, they'll be fine. Just call in-home care. Call home health. They'll give you some support. Are you kidding me? Fear. There's a big fear. And, you know, and in all fairness, of course. But you know what? We have fear with cancer. We have fear with uh, ALS. We have fear with Parkinson's. We have fear with all those diseases. The, it's a different fear. And so as a result, it's almost like we're paralyzed by that fear. And so one of the things that we, each one of us should do, this is my opinion, is I'm going to tell you straight up, this is my opinion, but if you are somebody who plans to live a long life, and you know what happens if you don't plan to li live a long life, that, then that's who says I'm suicidal. The opposite of suicidal is I plan to what? Continue living. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to be blunt, but that's the, the reality. You should probably read up on what the disease is about. Because you know how many people there are walking around thinking that they have dementia? They think they have dementia. But when you ask, have you ever been tested? And they don't, they've never been tested. How do you know you don't have an infection in your brain that could be healed by antibiotics? Well, my mom had dementia, so? That's my point, is that we have got to start studying what happens to our bodies as we get older. Women, by the way, just as an analogy, did not really understand menopause for a long time, did they? They didn't understand it. They didn't know what it was. Men thought women were just batshit crazy. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's not true, but I am saying there's a reason. Because when your hormones are out of whack, you come off as you, what I just said, right? You just do. And now that we understand it, we have an appreciation for that process, and we can help support each other, right? When someone says, I'm going through menopause, and oh my God, I'm going to take this off, I'm sweating, like, oh my God, you know, like, yeah, I get it, <laughs> right? Yeah, we get it, but that's not the case with Alzheimer's yet, right? We don't sit next to somebody at church, and they say, well, my, my spouse has Alzheimer's, and they go, oh, I'm so sorry, hon, and then they f try to forget that they're there, because they don't know what to say, right? And so we're avoiding the conversations, we're avoiding the support, because we're not educated. So it's time to get educated. I'm not the one to educate you. This is not my skill set. That's why I read a lot. But I am an expert on the downsizing process, and I can tell you right now how this affects that process, okay? So I'm going to talk about my little piece of this puzzle, and then it's your job to go out and learn the medical side of it, all right? So here's why people wait. We named all these things. Denial, space. I want to address this one, space. The reason people decide not to move into a place where they can be better supported, and I don't mean just communities. It might be that they don't move to live with their kids or with a family member or they don't.
don't move across town into a smaller house because they want to keep their big 5,000 square foot house. They want it. They want their stuff and they want their house and so therefore they wait. Money, obviously if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. But there's a lot of people who can afford it but they won't spend the money on it because for some reason they forgot that that's why they saved that money up to begin with. And instead, they'd rather leave a couple of million dollars to their kids or to some charity instead of making sure that their care is adequate for them as their disease progresses. Helplessness is a big one. And that's not a negative thing. What I mean by helplessness is they don't know how, they don't know the solution, right? People don't, don't have the answers that they need, and so they're helpless. And that's why people come here, like to this, because you don't want to be helpless. You want to be educated. You've got to be educated. Guilt, fear, obligation, duty. I left those all into the same box because they're all the same as far as I'm concerned. It's the spouse who says, don't you ever put me in a nursing home by God. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Yep. Don't you ever put me anywhere. Well, I don't want to be put anywhere either, but Chris and I have a pact, and that is that I want to be someplace that allows for us at, at all at my preferences to live together as long as we possibly can in whatever space that is and if that means in a memory care room if that means in a 250 square foot space then so be it I do not want him to have to take care of me in a big house which I don't have anymore anyway we've downsized a long time ago but I don't need him to be stressed out dealing with that I want him to be focusing on me and the same goes for him if something happens to him, right? So what is your marital pact? Have you threatened your spouse? Have you told them, don't you, don't you do it, don't you move me out of here, because here's the deal. When you reach a level seven and you are in bed, you better have a plan because your spouse cannot do it by themselves. That's if your spouse lives through stages five and six. Do you know how many, and I don't have this statistic in front of me, but there is a very significant, and one of the people from the communities may know this statistic, that there is a significant number of caregivers who pass away with a loved one in stages five and six, four, five, any of the stages, truthfully, but the later stages especially because the caregiver burden that is placed on them creates health problems for them. They do a caregiver... Um, program every year at the crossings. I know Concordia is a big part of it. Um, it has it already happened, uh, Kelly, this year, the caregiver program? Okay, so let's find out. Would you find out from Julie when that is? Text her, because here's the deal. At that caregiver program, I, I will tell you that the majority of people in the room at that program, people who had loved ones at home with some sort of dementia. And the biggest complaint in the room wasn't the spouse. They loved the spouse. They were going to do everything in their power for that spouse. The biggest complaint was their own health was going down. And they were fearful that they would no longer be able to care for that spouse. And if something happened to them, what would happen to the spouse? Okay. In May, okay, roughly in May. So make a note of that to be paying attention. We'll make sure and put that out to everybody. Okay, so if you decided to downsize or move, where would you go? And this is one of the biggest challenges that we have. The options are fairly limited, let me be honest with you. 
Um, you've heard us talk about CCRCs, Continuing Care Retirement Communities, which are what all of the communities we currently have as sponsors have, which means they have all the levels of care starting at independent, going to assisted, and then they have memory care support and long-term care support, as well as skilled. If you come from the hospital, you need rehab, they have that too. And so what a lot of people do is, this is especially true for people who may not have a spouse. They married or they've already lost their spouse or they're divorced is they go you know what I don't know who would care for me in the event that I had this problem so I'm going to go ahead and make that move early while I'm healthy and independent if I ever need additional care it's there on campus right that's part of the deal now it's costly it's not cheap for a lot of people, if you own your own home, it's affordable, but not for everybody. I'm going to tell you, there's a small percentage of people who can do that. And if you can, it's probably the best option because everything is available for you right there should you need it. But here's an interesting thing about that. Uh, over the course of the COVID pandemic, we have moved, gosh, I'd have to go back and count, but I know easily 10 people from one of the communities, all the different communities, from independent living, they moved in independently, lived in independent living, and now they need memory care. And oftentimes it's couples, okay? So the couple, I'm going to talk about couples, then I'll talk about some of the singles. But the couples, they too waited until stages five or six to make that move. And what ends up happening is the community has to go to them and say, it's time. Like, we can't keep sending home health out to your cottage or to your apartment every day to help you bathe your wife or your husband because that's not what our community was designed to do. Our community was designed for you to move through the stages as you need them, right? So you move to another part of the building where the nursing staff is there, where there's security. One of the communities, uh, the, the client, the spouse of the client we had, she was wandering around the neighborhood and people were having to bring her back because she couldn't get back. It's not safe. And so the community had to come in and say, look, it's time. And these people were mad. In many cases, it's the men. I, sorry, men, I'm going to throw you under the bus. But the men are ticked for having to move to the assisted living building because they don't want to live in a small apartment. They want their house. They want, they want their routine. They don't like change. We know men do not like change. Men are creatures of habit. If you have to paint a house and move their chair for five minutes, they get frustrated with you. I know this, right? Men like their space, and they don't need you. Chris's dad, God love him. Where is he, Jim? That day, I will, he's, he's back. I'm going to throw him under the bus. We were at their house, and Wanda, his, my, his wife, my mother-in-law, we were sitting there, and we were talking about she had done some and it looked really nice, and I said something about this wall that they had that was paneled. Everything else was painted white, but this one wall behind the TV had paneling. And it's the wall that their chairs face. And I said, we could paint that wall. It'd look really pretty. He says, why do we need to paint that wall? That wall's just fine. I said, well, yeah, it is just fine, but it'd be prettier if it was white. She's like, oh, I would like that. And he's like, we don't need to paint the wall. I don't know how many times he said it. And I finally looked at him. I said, Jim, we're painting that wall. You need to find something to do that day because we're painting that wall. So we came, he left, he left that day, whatever day it was, and we moved the big TV cabinet out, we moved everything out, we took everything off the wall, we painted the wall, we put everything back, it looked beautiful. He came back, I said, what do you think of the wall? He goes, I don't know why you need to paint the wall, right? 
He still doesn't know that wall. But Wanda wanted the wall painted, right? So that's what I mean. It's any inconvenience sometimes. It's not just men. Women are that way too, right? We, we like our space the way it is. But here's the deal. When you have a spouse or a loved one who is at this level and they have dementia at this level, there is going to be some inconveniences. I'm just going to put it out there. Period. You guys remember the vows? For better, for sicker, poorer, richer, poor, what was the next one? Sickness and in health, richer for poor, better for worse, right? Those are the three big ones. Some of the spouses we've helped have been amazing. They have been the most loving, kind, supportive, anything my spouse needs, let's do it. Some of the spouses, quite frankly, I wanted to take out back and smack with a two-by-four. <laughs> Truth. Seriously. Same way with adult children. Um, some adult children get it. They go, oh, my gosh, mom or dad need this. Let's do it, whatever we need to do. Others, denial, head in the sand. I promised mom we'd never move her to assisted living. I'm sorry. Right? It's inconvenient. I'm sorry that you had to fly in from Dallas. That's a bummer. Your mom's got dementia. She's going to live a few more years. Sorry you had to miss golf this weekend, right? There are going to be some inconveniences, and so we got to get ready for those. Independent living is an option. Here's the problem with independent living, you guys, as a standalone place to live. Here's the problem. Just had a client do this. They moved to independent living. They were happy with the apartment. They thought it was going to be great. They got there. She has dementia. He does not. He died the month after they moved in. She can't live there by herself. So guess what? Now the son's moving her out to North Carolina or somewhere on the East Coast where they live. Because here's the deal. They moved into independent living. It was fine as long as he was there with her. But the minute he wasn't with her, she can't live there. Okay? So if someone already has dementia, that's not the best option, you guys. It's just not. Assisted living. Why do people not like assisted living? expensive who said that absolutely why else two reasons cost and space size too small communities were not built with couples in mind for assisted living they just weren't they were built for individuals because that one spouse men usually died earlier I don't know why we keep feeding them so well <laughs> but they're living longer which means spouses are needing together does that make sense and these buildings are not designed for that and so we're having to crunch our 2,500 square feet with wings his wing her wing into 300 400 square feet with one bathroom god forbid we have one bathroom some of y'all grew up with one bathroom and five siblings and you've forgotten what that's like and you really now don't want to have to remember i get it but guess what? If you're not going to move with them, that's one thing. If you are going to move with them, it's going to be a small space. Assisted living is number one expensive. And when I say expensive, here's what I mean. For two people, it's going to easily be five grand if that person has dementia, right? Monthly, five grand, 60 grand a year easily. But what's it going to cost you for, for you to bring care into your home? At least that. Right? So it, cost is cost, right? You're going to pay it at home or you're going to pay it at a community. Um, problem is, 
Well, we'll get to that problem in a second. There's lots of problems. And by the way, I, I don't have all the solutions today. But if I don't tell you what all the problems are, is anybody going to plan? So the next one is memory care. If you think assisted living is small, go see a memory care uh, apartment. Those are even smaller. Well, they're small on purpose. Because when someone has later stages of dementia, the smaller the better, right? It feels better. It's more comfortable. They can get around. It's manageable, right? Um, it's not comfortable, typically, for a spouse to live there with them. So in a community like a CCRC, Concordia, Spanish Cove, Bradford Village, usually one person, if they're a couple, stays in at independent living, and the other person moves into memory care, and then they visit each other. So once a person reaches the later stages of dementia, they don't know that you're not there anyway. They really don't. So why not make it easier on yourselves to have, basically, you have a big house. Let's say it's Concordia. You have a big house. Your bedroom is in your independent living apartment. Your bedroom is in the memory care apartment. And you meet in the dining room for breakfast and lunch. And maybe you go to your own dinner at the other building. It's all your house. Does that make sense? As far as the person with memory issues is concerned, that's your big house. You each have separate bedrooms. Does that make sense? Okay. The person without memory issues has got to wrap their head around that. Right? They got to wrap their head around that. Long-term care. Well, by the way, let me back up. Memory care. The reason that there are places now being built designed specifically for memory care, they're not associated with assisted livings or long-term care, is because in a memory care building or unit, they can staff that better. Right? If it's designed they're going to be able to provide more functionality for that person. It's safer. They have different activities that are more appropriate. They're visually more appropriate for that person, and I'll talk about some of those reasons here in a minute. But memory care in a long-term care building or in an assisted living building that wasn't built for that is really all that is is a, a secure building. Okay? There are plenty of assisted livings who say they offer memory care, but what they really do is they offer assisted living with locked doors so the person can't wander. So when you're going to, to research memory care, you need to ask them, what training does your staff have? What programming do you have that is designed especially for someone with this type of dementia? Because some of them may not have any, truthfully. Long-term care is what we know as nursing home care. Okay, and this is usually, these days, you guys, is an end-of-life option. It's usually um, one of two reasons someone is in nursing care. One, they need the financial help to pay for it because um, at this point, at long-term care, someone might be utilizing Medicaid, which is the state insurance, okay? They've depleted their funds, and now this is really the only way they can get care in a residential setting is through long-term care. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's your only option. Here's the challenge, finding a place that offers the support you need for memory care, okay? Daughter, son, etc. family. Most of us do not want that option. Can we all agree? Right? Most of us don't. And yet, that may be our option. Now, here's the challenge with that one. Does the daughter or son know that that's your plan? And conversely... Did you know that that was your son or daughter's plan? You guys have all seen the movies. Mom's going to live in the basement. <laughs> no, she's not. <laughs> right? But if you haven't had the conversation about that, 
then how do you know, right? Martha and I have had this conversation about she's moving to be closer to her daughter. I'm like, does she know that? <laughs> but they're not going to live together. Same town, same city, but not together, okay? All right, so here are some things if you can't move or choose not to move. And by the way, I'm not here to tell you you should have to move. I'm absolutely not here to tell you that. That is your choice to make. But here you are the options if you choose not to move, or even if you do move uh, to something more manageable, these might be some options. So adult day centers. And if you're not familiar with these, um, there's a number of them around. In Oklahoma City, the one that you hear the most about is called the daily living centers. There are some others as well, but the daily living centers is the one most people hear about. Um, they do a phenomenal job, but it is a day center. So someone would get dropped off or they would be picked up and taken to the center during the day, and then they would be picked up or dropped back off at their place in the evening. That allows families that still work uh, or someone who needs respite have a place for their loved one to go and be active and engaged and have a safe place and a meal. And, by the way, most people with dementia in early stages is going to say to their spouse, do not ever take me there. Some of you are going to leave here today, you're going to walk to your car, you're going to start the car, get the air conditioner going, and you're going to say, don't you even think about it. Well, before you do that, ask yourself, what if the shoe was on the other foot? Ask yourself, what if I needed a break? Would he allow me or she allow me a break by going and sitting and playing dominoes or cards or putting a puzzle together or playing a video game or watching a movie or visiting with a friend for a few hours so that I could get my hair done or play a game of golf? Before you start telling your spouse that you're going to kill them if they do this, think about if the shoe is on the other foot. Adult day centers are great. Private duty. By the way, adult day centers also have options for low income. So if you don't have a significant means, they often have like a sliding scale and they have support op op options. Private duty is like in-home care, right? It's non-medical. Uh, it's visiting angels. It's senior helpers. It's all of those companies that are out there. They're great for what they are, but they're companion care generally and some light household help. They are not nursing. So once someone reaches the later stages, you're going to need more than that, more than that. Care management uh, and home health. So home health, we all know what home health is. Care management is like someone who is the general contractor for your health care needs, okay? So there are people out there who will come in, they'll put together a plan, and then they will help you connect with all of those things. One of the companies here in town is called Purview Life. Uh, Purview Life, they do that. Um, there are some others, but that one, there's another one called, um, um, my brain just froze. Um, it starts with a V. Pace, something Pace. Uh, v, Pace. Some, help me. Valor. Thank you. Valor. Pace. Valor Pace, P-A-C-E. And they are, uh, very different companies, they, they're, but they do similar things, Okay. Hospice and palliative care. Uh, you guys have, that have been to our seminars have heard our hospice people sit up here and tell you that if someone is diagnosed with dementia, that they qualify for hospice. At the very least, they'd qualify for palliative care. What is palliative care? It's pain management. 
somebody to monitor the situation, someone to be available to you. I would absolutely, if you got a diagnosis of a degenerative disease of any kind, contact one of those companies and have them come out and do an assessment. And if you're not, hospice is usually end stage, right? It's somebody who's kind of through that end stage, but they don't want to start there. They want to start back here so that they can help you prepare for that. The last two days of your life is not the time to call hospice. Professional court-appointed guardians, uh, we have some people that we connect with on a regular basis that do this for those people who don't have a family that they feel like they can count on. There are people who do this for a living. And then people like Arvest, I know that Curtis helps people all the time, uh, that they're managing a trust, and that person has the means, but they just don't have the manner to be able to manage it. They can't figure it out, and Curtis's team will help people put all the pieces together to find them a health care power of attorney to make sure that they have uh, the care that they need. Okay. So here are the main reasons, guys, why sooner, if you're going to move, sooner is better than later. Okay? Here's the main reasons. More options. If you wait until you're progressed or you've even been diagnosed, by the way, with dementia, you may or may not qualify for any of those communities sitting in the room, as an independent person anyway. You may qualify for their assisted or memory care if they have it available, but you have to move in as an independent, able-bodied person who passes their physical uh, exams in order to move in there as an independent person and take advantage of the, the life care. So you have more options if you do it earlier than you do if you do it later. It's easier to adapt. The thing that happens, it's kind of like Mo when Pops passed away. If we had moved together or had made changes together, she would have adapted easy, more easily. But what happens is we take this person who is reliant upon routines and a daily uh, regimen that's exactly the same. They're kind of living on autopilot, and we disrupt routine, and it throws them into a state of chaos. It's, if you think it's chaos for you, imagine what it's like in the brain of somebody who has lost about a third of their brain already. Okay? Improve physical wellness. If someone moves early, chances are they're going to physically progress even as their cognitive capabilities decline. Their physical body is healthier. Okay, they have less disease, less doctor visits, less hospitalizations if they've got someone watching them regularly and they're active. What happens with someone who has dementia that lives at home? They sit and watch TV until they don't, which means now they're wandering so you can't sit and watch TV, by the way, because that person is down the street. Um, reduces caregiver stress. I can't tell you how many people who have moved to a community and said, thank you, Lord, I feel like I have my life back. And by the way, the person that has dementia also has a life now, too. Right? This is not just about the caregiver. Um, and then the cost. Um, I'm going to tell you, it, it is expensive, period. There is no way around that. But if you do make provisions sooner rather than during crisis, the grand scheme of things, it will be less expensive. I can tell you without question that the cost of moving will be cheaper because it takes less time to move somebody who can make decisions than it does somebody that you're having to walk through the process who is confused. 
Speaking of, here are the other things you need to be doing to plan ahead. Now this, whether you have dementia or not, right? We've talked about this as part of everything we do. Every single person in this room, including myself, should have a power of attorney that is durable so that if you cannot make decisions for yourself, someone else has the authority to do that. And you need to name a successor. Here's the problem. Most of you that are coupled, who is your power of attorney? Your spouse. Now they have dementia. Who's your successor? You got to have a secondary person name. Financial power of attorney, same thing. Pre-selection of residential care communities. Here's what I mean by that. If, honey, if something happens and I develop a chronic disease or a progressive disease and we need to move somewhere, here's where I would prefer. Given my options, this is what I'd prefer. Now he's on, he is now on notice that these are my preferences. You know when most people try to start asking people where they'd like to move? Stage five or six, when they have not a flipping clue what you're talking about. Honey, would you like to move to Concordia? Where? Concordia, you know that. Where? That community over there we looked at. What community? You know that really nice community. It's Lutheran. Honey, I don't remember a Lutheran community. Was that in Texas? That's when people start asking where you want to move. I've sat at tables and had that conversation with people. And I want to look at the spouse and go, hello, hello. You have to decide. Because they cannot decide at that stage. They cannot. Let me show you a picture. See that picture at the top the, with the shapes? That, if, if I asked each one of you to get your pen out and draw that right now, replicate it on your paper, you could pretty much do that, right? Some of it would be, some of them would be prettier than others, but you could do it. Someone who's been diagnosed with dementia, that's the picture that they drew. They were looking at the top picture and asked to replicate it, and that's how it came out. Four years later, it came out like the one on the right. We're asking people who can't draw two shapes to make decisions about where they're going to live and what pictures they're going to take, and what clothes they're going to take, and what dishes they're going to take. We're asking them to answer questions that they cannot understand. And so we've got to do that before a diagnosis or before they get to that level of need. So identification of important items. What do I mean by that? Honey, which, if we had to leave this house and move somewhere else, what pictures in this house would you absolutely not want to part with? Write them down. Put notes on the back of them, whatever you need to do, because they can't make those decisions later. Family and caregiver agreements. If you have a family who is going to be helping you with this, we should all agree up front what that's going to look like. Who's in charge of what? Who's going to handle finances? Who's going to handle health care? Who's going to handle moving mom? Who's going to handle checking in on Sundays? Who's going to handle that stuff? The minute you get that diagnosis, the minute you should start compiling your team of people, not four years later when that person is now confused and you're having to make hard decisions and everybody's emotionally spent. Family and caregiver planning, um, 
extra thought should go into what to take. Now, this is true whether you do it now or later. Here are the things that uh, Tam, out of this book, I watched a video on YouTube. She did a great job, and this was really awesome. We automatically do this as part of the move management group that we're a part of. But these are the things that people need in order to make home feel like home. And I was so glad to hear her say it because I thought maybe I'm just picky. But when we go to someone's house to move them, and if we have to make the decisions because they can't, and we're the ones deciding, these are the things with, I didn't think about the perfume, but here are the things that are most important. A pillow. You need their pillow. Here's the problem. Your adult children come in. My kids would do this, I can tell you, because Chris has got a pillow that I am embarrassed that anybody would ever see. It's a down pillow, and he's got it all balled up, and it's just, it's, it's ugly. I mean, put a pillowcase on it, and it's still ugly, but he loves it. And if something happened, and my daughter had to come in and decide for him what pillow to take, she would not take that pillow. She would take a nice pillow, and he would hate it. Right? Does that make sense? Same way with sheets. I have adult children. I bought mom new sheets. Well, I really recommend you use the sheets they had on their bed. We don't even wash them. Because we want them to smell like home. Right? We want them to smell like home. We don't want them to smell like bleach. Um, chair. Your favorite chair. Your wall art. Not all of it, but your favorites. Your family photos. Generally the ones that are hanging on the walls or sitting on your counters. Your bed, sheets, and covers. Not just the sheets, but the covers. Have you ever been to a hotel where you really wish you had one more layer because you're used to sleeping with a heavy comforter and that one just has a little thin sheet and you're really, it doesn't matter the room temperature, you want the weight? Well, when someone moves, they need their bed to feel like their bed, even if it's a hospital bed. So we want to take their comforter with them or their sheets or their, their blankies. And so all of those things, the perfume, and the reason that's important, if someone is used to, every morning they get up, they get ready, especially women, they fix their hair and they spray perfume on. If when you move to a community and they're no longer wearing perfume for whatever reason, but you spritz just a little bit on a lamp or on a bulb, it, it, it makes the room smell like that, whatever that scent is. If someone likes to have potpourri in their house, then you should probably put a little potpourri. But whatever scent that person has, you need to try to take it with you to the new place to help them adapt and assimilate into their new home. And this is just common sense, but what happens is everybody moves to a community. They want, to be, they want everything to be new for their spouse. And I'm like, I know you're, you mean well, but the point isn't to make it pretty. The point is to make it feel comfortable and like home, right? So here's why it costs more for folks to move uh, when they have issues that are especially late stages is decision-making takes longer, you guys. I mean, there is no question that what we can do in 30 minutes in somebody's house that has no problems is going to easily take a couple hours for somebody who is challenged with these things. Um, family members may need to help. But I will tell you, sometimes they're more of a pain than a help, right? And here's why. It's not because they mean to be. But if you look on HGTV or you go to Home Depot, I mean not Home Depot, Hobby Lobby or at home, the generation that my kids are a part of and, and to some extent my generation, they're into making the house look like a show home, right? 
they want the barn doors and they want all this foo-foo stuff and whatnot. And, and if you move me someplace and you put all that crap in my house, I'm going to be ticked. But guess what? If I can't decide, who's deciding for me? They are. And that's what they're going to do, absent any instruction or education on this. Because, guys, they're not educated on this. So here's the thing. I, this is the same thing you have currently. This is the chart. But here's what happens. If someone says, Nikki, we're going to move, and they're in stage three, they have mild cognitive dementia, or very mild even, but they have impaired concentration, it's going to take longer. Everything's going to take Okay. Not only that, if you notice under three, it says some denial and anxiety about deficits. They don't want to talk about it. They're having difficulty, but they will not tell us. Now, we kind of can figure it out, but it takes a little time to do that. Number four, moderate cognitive decline. They're withdrawing from situations that are challenging. Many of you would agree that trying to move your house you've lived in for 40 years is challenging. Okay? This is how I know there might be a problem. We schedule an appointment, they cancel. We schedule the next appointment, they cancel. We schedule another appointment, they cancel. You know what that tells me? They're withdrawing. They're in denial. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. I don't feel comfortable doing this. I don't, I don't feel good about this. They get into number five. Now, they need assistance choosing what to wear. This is the fun one. I had a, a couple who did this. God love him. He was one of those sweet, kind, loving, absolutely, I just, oh, they're just, they're married. He just was a loving, loving husband. And she uh, could not make decisions about what to wear. She cognitively couldn't do it. She wore the same thing every day um, because that's just what she did. And she needed to change because of the odor that was beginning to happen as a result of incontinence. And when we would get there, and I'd say, now, can we go ahead and, and help her? Let's get her dressed so you guys can go uh, to the dining room while we work on the closet. And he would say, honey, what do you want to wear? Honey, what do you want to wear? No, you wore that yesterday. Pick something else. No, honey, go ahead and pick. And I swear we spent 30 minutes, and my patience was wearing out. And I said, would it be okay with you if I helped her? And he said, oh, sure, yeah. And so I stood there, and I said, okay, here's what we're going to wear today. <laughs> and I said, let's find a necklace that would go with that. And I got her her necklace, and I dressed her, and I said, let's go put some makeup on. And we went in the bathroom, and we fixed her up. And I said, okay, she's ready. He goes, wow, that was fast. <laughs> yes, sir, it was. Because I did not ask her to decide, right? She could not decide. It, it takes longer if you're, anyway, you get my point. Okay. Lastly, uh, sleep disturbances down there at the bottom. Behavior and personality changes, including hallucinations, anxiety, agitation, obsessive behavior. Okay. With dementia, here's what we deal with when we're helping people move. Oops, sorry. She stole my rings. They stole my rings and they stole my makeup. I can't find this, I can't find that, right? They stole it. Now, we know that's not true, but that's their perception. So guess what? I have found makeup and rings in the bottoms of trash cans, wrapped in paper towels in the trunks of cars. I have found rings in empty dental floss containers in the bathrooms in the top shelf. I have found rings in the dryer. 
We have found valuables of different types in the freezer. We have found them buried in the back of a drawer that we just cleaned out yesterday with them. We have found things in the garage. They hide things. They stash things because they're paranoid, right? It's, they don't know different, right? Their brain is shrinking, and that is what it tells them to do. And it comes out as somebody's stealing, somebody's taking things from me. So our move management team goes in on pack day, get them all packed, get everything emptied out, get ready to go, show up on move day to do it all over again. Because they woke up that morning at 2 and wondered why the heck all their stuff was in boxes. And they put it back. And they're exhausted. And their spouse was clueless because they were asleep. You're paying for us to pack twice, just so you know. You don't get a credit for sleeping through your wife putting stuff back into the cabinet. I'm just saying. This happens. And I, we joke about it now, but in the moment, it's very frustrating, right, for everybody. Because now, by the way, I'm packing her things, and I have to ask them to leave because I can't do it with her there because what is she going to ask me every two and a half seconds? Why are you putting that in there? Why are you doing that? Why are we doing that? Where are we going? Honey, why are they putting things in boxes? Right? Because, by the way, she doesn't remember yesterday when we did it. Okay? And I say she, it can be either or, men or women. This is no different for either. There are some variations, but that's the commonality. So now we're asking them to do a floor plan, and we're asking them to choose which pictures they want to take. That's an actual client's hallway, and that's only about half of it. I couldn't get it all on the picture. And they can't draw that picture. Okay? So if you are the caregiver of someone... We need to know, and we're going to need to do some of the things, make some executive decisions for that person because they will be anxious and emotional and scared and all of those things that we don't want them to be if we're having to ask them make those decisions. So make them earlier, together. Write them down. You're going to need professional help. There's no way around it. If you don't have professionals, you're going to need a lot of family. So make sure you have people on board to help. You're going to need legal documentation. So don't wait until that person's diagnosed with dementia to get a power of attorney. If you do that, you're, it's too late. Now you've got to do a guardianship. And you have to go do a guardianship. You've got to go in front of a judge. You've got to hire an attorney and do all that crap. And it's harder. Okay, It's a lot harder. Family members, like I said, um, here's, here's the thing I would say about family members, guys, and I don't mean to bash family members. I, what I want you to know about family members is even the families that are loving and well-meaning and helpful, if mom has later stages of dementia or dad and they haven't seen that adult child in a little while and they come in and start trying to help, it creates anxiety they oftentimes don't even remember who they are or why they're there or any of that. And so here we've been there and we've been doing this and they're already anxious, right? But as far as they're concerned, that loving family member is a stranger. And not only are they a stranger, but they keep asking, Mom, don't you remember who I am? Mom, don't you remember this? Mom, don't you remember you gave this to me when I was five? Mom, don't you remember? Because they want Mom to remember so badly. 
But all of those questions create anxiety. And then what they try to do is they try to make their house look like their house and not like the house they need for their life to be comfortable. We try, when we have someone with late stages of dementia, we try to do the move in one day, literally. Couples, singles, doesn't matter. We get there in the morning, 8 o'clock. We ask them to leave. They leave. We pack. We load. We unload. We unpack, and we create their new environment by the time they get there at, say, 3, 4, 5 o'clock, as fast as we can do it. It takes 4 or 5 of us, maybe 6, to do it sometimes. Okay? But we have to do it that way because if we bring them into a house where it's in disarray, what happens? They have chaos, right? They're like, where's my stuff? Where, you know? So what we try to do is we try to make it look as much like and feel as much like their previous residence as possible in the shortest amount of time possible so that when they walk in, it feels like home. Jake and his team have done an amazing job on the last couple of moves at Spanish Cove, especially we have. We do most of theirs from independent to assisted or memory care. We do a lot of them. And we've gotten really good at it. And one of the things that we've learned is that if we do it, if we do it our way, we can do it really quickly, and we can. And the person will walk in. If they're in late stages, they'll walk in and they'll sit down in their chair, and it's almost like they didn't even realize they're in a different room. Like they realize their spouse does, and their spouse goes, "Whoa!" Right? And the person is, they're like, "Oh, oh, I'm home." Right? That's how we want it. Right? As little chaos as possible for them. You've got to tell people, please, please, please. Now, obviously, your confidentiality is important, and you're not telling everybody, or you're not telling family, and you need to tell, but you've got to tell your caregivers, you've got to tell your professional support people, and if you don't tell them the diagnosis, that's fine, but you have to at least tell them what you're dealing with, okay? Tell them that, and if I ask you the question, when are you, when are you and your spouse at your best? If you have a spouse with dementia and they're at 4 o'clock, they're sundowning and the symptoms get worse, then we probably shouldn't be there at 4 o'clock. We should come in the morning when they're at their best and work then, right? If we say we need to reschedule for 4, it's okay to say, you know, 4 is not good, right? My husband isn't good at 4. At 4, he starts to have some, some anxiety, and so 4 is not good. Okay, that's no problem. We'll make a note of that, and we'll come today, earlier. All right, I've done a lot of talking. Um, I've lot on you. So now's your time. Let's share things. So what do you know that you want to share that I haven't shared or what would you like to know that either I can answer or have one of our team answer if I don't know the answer. And Chris, do we have a handheld mic that if we do need to pass it around we can? No, we don't. Okay, so we'll just have to talk loud. All right, who's going to go first? Who's the, who's the most uh, courageous in the group? Yes, ma'am. Yep. And uh, I took her in there with her. She had a great time. And she really picked one she wanted. Yep. And she thought, oh, I'd really like to be there, you know. So she went home and she talked to her lawyer, and her lawyer said, oh, that's only for Megan there. We don't want to do that. <laughs> so why would a lawyer say that? Okay, so if you didn't hear what she said, those at home want to hear this. This is great. And by the way, it's not just lawyers that do this. It's financial planners. It's a lot of people. So she said her friend came in town from out of state. They went and looked at some CCRCs, continuing care communities, and she liked one. She picked one out. She, she could see herself living there. Went back to talk to her attorney, and her attorney said, oh, 
Only millionaires live in those places, can live in the, why would you, how, you can't do that. I don't know if he told her she couldn't do it, but basically just millionaires live there. So there is, there are so many misconceptions, you guys, about communities of all types, but CCRCs are at the top on confusion because there's an entry fee and people have been told things and you know how have you ever done that game with kids where if if eddie started a secret and he told it and it went down the line and by the time it got down here it would be something totally different that's what happens is somebody says oh my friend moved to this place and it cost him a hundred thousand dollars to move in the next friend tells the next friend it was five hundred thousand and next thing you know it's a million five we have CCRCs here in our market that are the most affordable of any in the country and some of the nicest and well-maintained and ran. And you can move into those as an individual, some of them for under 100000 Some of them it's going to be more than that. But there, I can't think of any of them that are more than three hundred or 400000 um, It depends on what you're moving into, if it's a cottage or a house or whatever. But um, my friend Jean, I've talked about before, moved down to Dallas. She moved into one that was 675000 to move in. There are some in San Diego that are over a million. There's some in Austin over a million. So that attorney was generalizing his knowledge. And instead of saying, wow, that's interesting, let me find out more about the one you're curious about, he made a blanket statement that was just flat inaccurate. Financial planners do it all the time, too. Here's why financial planners do it. Some people want to take their money out of their uh, investments and put it into a CCRC for their health care. And guess what happens when they do that? Their financial planner loses money, doesn't he? So they'll start saying things like, oh, that's not a good investment, or oh, you don't want to do that, or that's going to cost you money kind of thing, when they have not even themselves asked the person why they might want to do it or what's important to them. So I would tell people this. If they go back and talk to a professional who makes a statement like that, their next words to that professional need to be two words. You're fired. And they need to go find someone who is willing to talk to them about the things that they are that are important to them and if they can do it and they want to do it and they're informed then they should do it good question who else tough topic yes ma'am oh good question you mean about a diagnosis okay so where would I get a second opinion okay first of all if you have a physician and they've done some sort of mental status assessment with you or someone else and they've said there might be some mild cognitive impairment here or there might be some early stages dementia right that word might that word maybe the could be is your indication that they don't really know right so your next question is who should I see to find out now, a general practitioner is going to have a referral. They're going to refer you to a neurologist or to a psychologist or a, or a psychiatrist or to some specialist. They're probably the first thing they like to do is rule stuff out, right? Like they rule out, they'll do blood work, they'll do x-rays, they'll do things like that. And if they can't figure it out, then they start getting into psych testing. And there are companies here in town, organizations, hospitals, some of them are clinic-oriented, some of them are more hospital-oriented, where you can go in and have psychiatric testing done. And they're done usually by psychologists, and depending on the test, 
be a psychiatrist, but they're going to do tests. And my stepdad had to go through this. When he, he was ill, we took him in. It took him about half a day. They did a battery of tests. They came back with a long report saying, here's where he's doing well. Here's where he's not doing well. Here are some things that we need to probably consider, so on. They have gotten really, really good at testing now for dementia. So to answer your question, the first person you ask is your doctor. Who would you recommend? If they can't recommend somebody, there are two words you're going to say to them. You're fired. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you can't fire a doctor. But at the end of the day, you can fire your doctor. Find another doctor first, I recommend, before you fire that doctor. But, uh, but yes, call us. And I will get you a referral. Call Marilyn. She'll get you a referral. We will get you a doctor who knows who to talk to. Because the second opinion is going to depend on the symptoms, right? It's going to depend on what you've got going on. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Betty. No, they were living in the same apartment. In the same yep. Okay. Now what happens with her? Right. Okay. So the couple I referred to moved into independent living. She had memory impairment. He passed away shortly after. She can't live there by herself. She just can't do it. And so the son is in town. He has stayed with her this whole time. He has made arrangements. And he is now moving her to be closer to him. But they're going to move her into an assisted living community where she has 24-hour care and secure, uh, secure building. Yeah. Yeah, so good question. So when he passed, so they made the decision together as a couple. And they called us. They'd been coming to our seminars for years. They called us. They made arrangements. We got everything done. Um, the son came into town during their move period. He was very helpful, very um, loving and supportive. Got them moved, got their house sold. It was in the process when the house was being sold that the, miss, the gentleman passed away. And the son basically said, holy moly, what do I do? Like, and he knew, based on conversations with his mom during the move process, that there was no way she could stay there. So he worked then with the people at the community in the building to uh, make accommodations for her while they were making the plans to get her moved. Okay, now it's been a couple of months or so, two months, that they have been in limbo, right? And now they're moving her. So, um, you know, it's the nature of the beast. I, I don't know that I would say that couple should have done anything different. Um, the only thing they could have done differently would have been to move to a continuing care community where instead of her moving to another state, she would have moved into a higher level of care at that community. Um, but the son could have still made an executive decision to have her move closer to him. When you have memory issues, here's the thing. When you have any kind of dementia, if you have not otherwise conveyed to someone else in writing what you want, they are going to have to make that decision for you. And they will do the best they can with the information that they have. Yeah. Shannon? Can 
Yeah, they did. So this couple, thank you, Shannon, this couple had prepared legally. So they had all the documents they needed. The son had all the powers of attorney he needed. Like they had done a really good job of packaging their lives in such a way that even though the son was stressed, it's not that he's not stressed, he just lost a parent and his mom's got memory issues, but he's equipped See, so he's, he's equipped. His stress is execution. His stress isn't, how do I do this? It's, in what timeline am I going to do it? So, yeah, absolutely. Good point, Shannon. Um, talk about, oh, Kelly, you had something? Okay. So did you hear that statistic? Eighty percent of people in that situation where uh, they have a caregiver, it doesn't even mean a spouse, it could be an adult child, it could be a sister or brother, but they're basically the caregiver passes away before the person who has cognitive impairment or dementia passes away. And so in that situation, guys, that you got to have a backup caregiver. I mean, what that tells me is that one caregiver is great, but you need a backup to the caregiver in case that person passes. Yes. Gosh, that's a great question, Betty. So her question is, if you're talking to the caregivers about your goals for the future, how do you prepare that person for what it's going to cost? That's a great question. So this is where your homework comes in, right? This is where many of you have taken advantage of the tours, you've gone and you've done your homework and you've done your research and you say, I'm not moving, I'm staying at home, I'm gonna stay home. And if something should happen and I need care, my daughter's gonna handle it, let's say, right? She needs to know the homework that you've done and the costs associated with that and how that's going to be funded. I'll use my family as an example. We've had this conversation in here before. My dad's answer is, I'm going to just go to the nursing home. Dad, how, how is that going to be paid for? He says, well, the state will pay for that. So what my dad is saying is, Nikki, I'm okay going to the nursing home and I'm okay with the state of Oklahoma paying for it through Medicaid. Okay? That's our conversation. So what dad doesn't realize is that there are costs involved in leading up to that. So if we sell his house, there are going to be there may be a little equity in his house. That money has got to be used, right, for his care before Medicaid will pay. So my because I'm educated in this, I educated my dad and explained to him that he can't just bequeath that money to his grandkids. If something were to happen, he, that money would need to be used, okay? That was news to him, okay? Now, you guys are the ones being educated. You're the ones going out. Now, you have to turn around and educate your caregiver, whoever that person is you're delegating, and you've got to sit down with them and say, this is how this works, and if you don't know how it works, then you need to sit down with somebody else who does, an attorney, a financial planner, a care, uh, care manager, somebody who's willing to sit down and do that and look at your books and look at your assets and all those things. Preferably not an attorney who is anti-options, right? You've got to talk to, it, like, Curtis's team at Arvest, 
man, I'll tell you, they do a community service that is beyond belief. Um, they will sit down with somebody, whether they're a client of their bank or not, whether they have a trust or not, and they will sit down with someone and help them work through a plan like that and have those hard conversations with families because it's just something they do. So if you can't find somebody to help you do that, that's the way you got to do it, though, Betty. There's no easy answer to that question. It's just educate, 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 okay? Um, okay, so I know we're getting close. Uh, so let's, uh, let me give you guys a couple. Jerry, last question. Help you make what decision? Oh, help. Okay, gotcha. So the question is, how does a CCRC help you make the decisions about what level of care and when? Yeah, so for the most part, guys, you're going to make those decisions yourself. Like, as long as you're healthy and you're independent, you're going to stay in independent living. If at some point your health begins to decline, you need to be in dialogue with that community's nursing staff depending on how their setup is, it's usually nursing staff, about when that transition needs to happen and if it's going to be a permanent one or if it's going to be a temporary one. Um, if you don't make that decision yourself or in collaboration with them, then I can assure you they're going to make the decision for you. So what that means is when it is no longer... Um, when you are no longer living in a way that is that that is designed for, so in other words, if you're in independent living, but their nurses are having to come over there every day because you keep falling, there's going to be a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with you to say, this is not okay anymore. And I will tell you, some of these communities, man, they have been working with people for months or years on helping them get their head wrapped around this transition. It isn't a, they'll walk in one day and say, sorry, Karen, uh, movers are going to be here tomorrow. We're moving you over to assisted living. It is not how it happens. It's a, hey, Karen, we're, been, we're noticing some things that are going on that we want to talk to you about, and we're going to try to remedy them. And if we can't remedy them, then we may have to see about making a move at some point in the future, right? And then over time, they help you hopefully make that decision yourself. We've only had to move a couple of people who quite frankly were just flat out ticked off at the community for making them move. And here's what's interesting, you know why they're mad? Not because they're having to move, because they're having to pay for it. Now, I know, here's the deal. Moving, we're talking, money is relative, right? We're talking about people who are paying anywhere from, say, two to $3,000 a month rent who are mad they're going to have to pay $700 to move to another building. That's what they tell you they're mad about. What are they really mad about? The change. The change. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. We have to look at our own mortality. Some of the people will say, when I have to move to that other part of the building, they won't even say what it is. That other part of the building. I'm walking down the staircase of heaven right here to the other part of the building. There is a mental thing that happens when people transition from independent to assisted to memory care. And the sooner you can wrap your head around the fact that just because you moved from that part of the building to that part of the building doesn't mean that you're sure to die tomorrow. It actually should improve your situation, right? It should not worsen it. It should improve it. Then we're all better off. But these, these communities do an amazing job. Their staff, their social work teams, their nursing teams, they, nur they nurture people through that process. Does that help, Jerry?
Yeah. Okay. So, guys, uh, a couple of things I want to point out. I've talked about this in the past, the gift. If I have not convinced you today that you need a plan, I can't convince you. This gift program that the villages offers is a gift it is it is designed for us to put all this stuff together in one place but more importantly to have the conversations with those people that we need to have them with so Betty if you're going have you been through the gift yet no okay so if you were to go through the gift here's what here's what can happen in a small group of people you're all putting this together and you ask that group uh, how am I going to educate my daughter or son or, or granddaughter about the costs involved in this. There's going to be somebody in that group who is going to take that on with you and they're going to champion your cause and they're going to give you suggestions and they're going to give you ideas and then they're going to call you on the Sunday after you're supposed to do that and say, how did it go, <laughs> right? It's a network of people. It's a support group if you want to look at it that way. You don't have to disclose or share private information with them if you don't want to, although a lot of people find that that's a safe place to have the conversation about what they're going through, okay? Um, by the way, when you do that, there is a fee for it, but then you become a member of the villages for a year, and it's a household thing. So you become a member of the villages for a year, and that means that you have access to all those resources as one of the villages members, okay? And then if you're thinking that you do need to downsize soon or that that is in your future, but not right away, like let's say you're down the road a year or two or more, and you want to equip yourself and you want to ask the questions about the downsizing process or the house process or the stuff process, then that's where the Downsizers Club comes in. We initiated that in January. Um, Jan and Terry just graduated. Yay! That's why they're sitting back there. Their house is sold. Um, they've moved to Concordia into their cottage. They're, they're very, very settled already. So we have people that are going through this process, and this is kind of that support group for them. Okay, so um, next month, uh, I didn't realize I had these back-to-back, -back, but we're talking about two kind of what I consider to be end-of-life topics back-to-back, -back, but the truth about probate. This is more about the technical details, though, so you guys, some of you have heard this before. We have attorneys who deliver this. I don't deliver it. Um, the attorneys talk about the probate process, how it works, what to expect, how to get through it if you're the one having to take people through it, and how to avoid it if you'd like to try to avoid it, if possible, okay? So uh, get signed up for that for next month. Um, I wish you all well.